0: Good morning, Mendocino County. You're tuned to KZYX, Philo, 90.7 FM. KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah, 91.5 FM. Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Please stay tuned. Mind Body Health with Dr. Marvin Trotter is coming your way. My name's Cobb. I am in the studio doing some engineering here. In the meantime, we have our intrepid host, Dr. Marvin Trotter, with us. Good morning, Cobb. And he will introduce our guest and our topic for the day.
1: Yes, it's um, All Things Pediatric with COVID in Schools with Dr. Casey Johnston, uh, who's an esteemed pediatrician, and she must be because she sees my grandson. Um, but welcome, Casey. How are you doing, Dr. Johnston?
2: Oh, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on
1: the show. Sure. So first question is, how did you get to Mendocino County?
2: Yeah, so uh, my husband is also a doctor locally, and we are both from Northern California and uh, went to medical school in California and then went off to Arizona for a residency and knew we wanted to come back to Northern California. And there were jobs here for both the pediatrician and an emergency medicine doctor. And we thought we'd try out uh, Mendocino County and we've we've really enjoyed it.
1: And you're, um, you're um, I don't, well, I wouldn't say that you live off the grid, but you. Um, we do.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's a uh, interesting life outside of town with your four children, I'm sure. So uh, we have a very interesting topic this morning COVID in school. So you go ahead and start.
2: Okay, yeah. So. It's definitely a, a current topic. Um, you know, By the end of this week, we're gonna even have more information from our, our local school districts and our public health officer regarding uh, the specific details about reopening. Uh, it's been a topic on, on a lot of people's minds since last, last year, last March, when schools, uh, the campuses uh, shut down. Um, you know, there's been several schools that have that did reopen under waiver processes in the fall, but for the most part, most kids are doing school school on the computer from home. And so recently, uh, California, this this state, um, they keep revising guidelines, and basically, in the end of December, their newest guidelines. We're going to allow school elementary schools to reopen once we got to a certain case rate and uh, certain cert- safety plans were submitted by school district superintendents um, and approved by county superintendent and county pu- public health officer. And there are many, many steps uh, to get the schools reopened, including funding and how to do surveillance testing. And it's a very complicated process. But thankfully, we are... The, the Ukiah Unified School District is tentatively gonna open elementary schools, February uh, 16th. So that's very, very exciting news. And so far, yeah, yeah. And and I, I really hope that uh, our, our, you know, higher levels of education, junior highs and high schools can open. Sooner than later, the state still has very strict guidelines on when they can open. Uh, we have to be in the red tier for high schools to reopen, but I really hope we can get them open sooner than that.
1: And explain that to me. It's just that the elementary school kids don't go around spreading their saliva as much, or what's the Yeah, so process?
2: we know, you know, a lot more than we did. Well, so there's multiple, multiple reasons. Um, one part of it is, you know, a lot of our policymakers think that it's um, a lot more challenging for younger age kids to learn over the screen, which I agree to to an extent, but I would argue that it is still extremely difficult for a high school student. Um, I've, I've never taken a class like purely on a screen or computer. I know it would be difficult for for me, uh, but that is one reason it's, it's a lot more. Um, you know, elementary school is just more a hands on experience for for teaching between the teacher and student and and interactions between students. So that's one part of it. Another part of it is that there has been, you know, we know a lot more since March of last year about how COVID is transmitted. And uh, kids even down to a cellular level uh, transmit COVID um, and get fewer symptoms from COVID um, in, in in the younger ages. So like the young... Yeah, so on a cellular level, um, there are fewer of the ACE2 receptors on cells in, in younger kids that allow yeah, that allow COVID to enter the cell. Um, but research shows that also teenagers have a little less likelihood of transmitting and getting COVID as well than adults, but it's a little higher risk than the younger kids. So that's kind of another piece of it. Um, uh, and, and another piece of it, I should say, is is in high school. Kids are taking you know four, five, six, seven class, different classes, and so just by the nature of it, it's more complicated to arrange, uh, you know, arrange the class uh, teaching um, with all these different restrictions uh, that schools need to abide to when there's you know kids are taking six, seven different classes.
1: Um, I'm excited about the elementary schools because from what I've read and you know, I'm, I'm, um, I'm not knowledgeable about this. Um, I'm surprised how important the first few years of school are to your success. When I read that if you're not reading properly, when you start fourth grade, you have an 80% chance of not graduating from high school. I about fell over. Mm-hmm. Is that true? Do you, be, you know, is that?
2: Yeah. I mean, the first, uh, first few years of school, I mean, even down to the preschool level, uh, is is extremely important for setting up child, a child for success. I mean, it gets a child interested in, in learning and have a, having a desire to, um, you know, to push themselves. They, they uh, you know, they get the mentality of wanting to succeed and wanting to learn, and that can just set them up for, um, you know, a, li- a lifetime of success. And also, if they get behind by fourth, fifth grade, it gets harder and harder to catch up. And this whole... Uh, pandemic distance learning I mean we see this even more kids are it's just been it's been really tragic actually seeing kids uh, get so be so behind on the screen it's hard to ask a teacher a question over the screen it's really easy to get left behind and then kids start giving up the high school dropout rates right now are from my understanding the highest they've ever been Um, and kids down to kindergarten are just losing interest in learning, which is really sad. Um, My
1: my daughter was taking some microbiology, physiology stuff for nursing school, and, you know, she's 30 years old, and she was going crazy doing this screen learning and Zooming, and, you know, she wants to be successful and did well, but she thought it was a little mind-numbing. I can imagine being a student younger student
2: yeah and 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 also i mean in my own kids too um just the the loss of the interaction between classmates i mean obviously on a social level and connecting in that way but also um it can be very reassuring and um encouraging when you see other children kind of struggling with the same things or seeing what they're doing and um like, for instance, one morning, my, my kindergartner was getting really frustrated and he just was kind of giving up. And um, it turned out he was so worried that he wasn't doing his writing. What You know, his kindergarten, his writing is barely coming along. And he was so worried that it didn't look like the teacher's perfect handwriting.
1: Wow. wow. <laughs> and he, he was comparing himself to the teacher's handwriting.
2: Wow. His classmates work. He couldn't see his classmates work, you know, so that was uh, really eye-opening for me, how important it is to work together with your peers on on learning.
0: So it sounds to me like what you're getting at, Dr. Johnston, is that what is being discovered is that it's more of a risk to not have young kids in school for their health than it is uh, the COVID-19 Risks like COVID-19 is still just as dangerous, but not going to school is more dangerous? Is that, am I understanding that?
2: That is exactly the point I want to make today. This Thank That's you. Great, great
1: way so
0: that, it, it. No.
2: Yeah, the, the risks of our the children of our community being out of, out of physical, out of school, doing distance learning. The risk to chi- children on their mental, their emotional health, even their physical health is way, way, way higher than the incredibly low risk of COVID transmission within schools if proper precautions like masking and social distancing are taken. And, and I can go over a lot of, you know, there's so much data and research now that we have over the past year on how low the risk of transmission in schools is when masking and just basic precautions are followed. So that's exactly the point I wanna to make today is the risk of keeping our kids out of school are just so much greater than the risks of COVID transmission within schools. And
1: are you hopeful? I mean, if this is true, are the junior high and senior high going to ho- open up shortly thereafter? Or I know the teachers have been against this, but now they're, they've are they been vaccinated, right? Is that still an issue?
2: Yeah, and I wouldn't say all the teachers. I, it's a very... Um, you know, I've learned a lot in the last few weeks and many people have been very gracious in meeting with me, including superintendents and uh, school board members and the public health officer. So it is a it's a very complex <laughs> uh, way to come, overly complex issue, I think, um, uh, of getting our kids back to school. But there's, yeah, there's been a lot of uh, hurdles and hoops to jump through. and and our state is still still has a very strict um, uh, rule that high schools can't open up unless our numbers get below uh, get into the red tier again, which actually is a pretty low case rate. And I honestly I've been calling the governor's office and sending letters and just pushing to reopen a waiver process or some way to get all of our students back to the classroom because. Um, we can't underestimate the long-term effects these school closures are going to have on on our youth. I mean, they're they're, yeah.
0: <laughs> so, what's it going to look like when, if and when schools reopen on February sixteenth? Do you do you know?
2: Sorry, what was that?
0: What what is the picture looking like oh. as far as reopening goes in Mendocino County?
2: Yeah. So. I mean, Mendocino County is taking a very careful approach well, like the whole state of California. So um, everything's being started slowly and gradually. So the final plans haven't been approved by the state, um, but the superintendent of Ukiah Unified School District did um, submit the safety plans, um, which which is is terrific. Um, But the overall, so I don't have all the specifics in front of me, but the, the, the basic overall picture is it's going to be shortened days so uh, and cohorts. So the class class size will be smaller, uh, like less than 20 kids. And they're going to, so uh, one cohort will go Monday, Tuesday mornings, like a half day, and then Wednesday, full cleaning of the school. And then that another cohort will go Thursday, Friday. And then the first cohort will do distance learning on the the days they're not, they kind of alternate. So the days you're not going in person, you're doing distance learning, which is going to be less screen time. It's going to be just more on like paper independent work. Um, So that's a complicated process in itself (laughs) to organize all the, all of that. And that's just going to start for the younger grades first. And then after a week or two open up to the uh, all of elementary school grades. Um, And again, my understanding, and I could be wrong, is that this is mainly for Ukiah Unified School District. Um, I, don't, I don't know all the specifics, like going, what's going on in the coast or um, It's That's part of the, <laughs> the complexity of, of this whole school process is that it's been really up to like school, independent school districts and counties. Um, which in some ways makes it more
0: complicated. (laughs) Yeah, and just as something to add into the conversation uh, for our listeners, I believe there's some other programs that KZYX has hosted that can be uh, found on the website or on the jukebox archives. I think with the superintendent of schools outlining some of those details for people uh, dated, you know, as early as last week.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then one, one part um, of the back-to-school plan uh, that has been very complicated, especially with funding, is testing. So surveillance testing and then also testing for symptomatic um, students and, and, uh, and teachers and staff. So that's been a huge holdup on the statewide level, like where that funding's coming from. Um, the state does have some subsidized testing, but that's been like a whole other... <laughs> um, topic as well
1: it sounds like the state has made it pretty damn hard
2: yes yes uh i agree and and we we i mean our county has a lot of people that's been who have been working hard on this um you know from our public health department to our school superintendents um school board members and other community leaders um and it's been very, very frustrating process for everyone.
1: Yeah, I thought once the teachers were vaccinated, that with the knowledge of other school districts, you know, bringing kids back, that it would be a much easier process. Uh
2: Yeah, I mean, because a lot of the research that has been done on the safety of schools, that was all before the vaccine was available. And it was already showing that schools can be done in a safe way. Um, And... Yeah, and our county has been phenomenal in leading the vaccine campaign overall and then especially with, with teachers. And the state plan doesn't even I mean maybe they've changed things in the last few days, but they hadn't they, they hadn't considered vaccines into um, kind of another level of, of safety for the schools. Like they're still gonna require as much surveillance testing and all that. They didn't acknowledge that the teachers are being vaccinated.
0: So, as a pediatrician, what has your role been in the process for reopening schools?
2: Yeah, um, so I've definitely gotten more uh, involved in the last in the last few weeks. I wish I I was part of a bigger part of it earlier on. Um, so, I mean, my I've been seeing a lot of kids in clinic and families who have have really been struggling. Um, uh, and so some of the, and then recently, um, a group of local medical providers. We sent out a letter to local leaders in education and public health and our elected officials, uh, calling for the urgent reopening of schools and and detailing what we've seen from a medical standpoint, the effects of school closures, and and how, and you know citing the research showing that schools can be. Um, uh, yeah. Can be safe um, with proper precautions. I've been, uh, you know, writing and calling local um, or elected officials, uh, calling Governor Newsom's office on the daily. Um, I don't know how much help that's been doing, but um, yeah, I've been more like learning and trying to communicate what we've been seeing in the in the clinics on the effects of school closures on kids and their families. Dr. Johnston has
1: been a has been a COVID warrior, um, Cobb. She's um, the Joan of Arc of. Um,
2: no, hey, don't. <laughs> okay. I would anyway, not. We'll, I would not. Say, I, I would not say that. But okay. um, a lot of people have been working hard on the schools, um, and I've I've just uh, been trying to communicate what we've been seeing from a medical standpoint okay. on the importance okay.
1: of schools. Well, tell, us, tell us some pointers of what parents could be doing to help their child with a flat affect?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I guess um, we could start by talking about the effects we're seeing in in clinic, um, which I was telling Dr. Trotter earlier, like every week I feel like things are are getting worse. Um, So from, I mean, in the hospitals and emergency departments and clinics, we're seeing just huge spikes in mental health crises, including anxiety, depression, kids are feeling socially isolated. You know, for teenagers, their peer group in school is so important. For many, it's as important as their families. And they've, you know, a lot of people have lost that. Um, The rates of suicidal thoughts and actual suicide attempts has skyrocketed. Um, And then from a, you know, physical health standpoint, too, we're seeing um, really high Rates of obesity. I mean, these are school age kids gaining 20, 30, 40 pounds in in a matter of months. And with that comes diabetes um, and other related problems, vitamin D deficiency as well. Um, Some weeks I felt like I was prescribing more diabetes medication to children than anything else, which is really sad as a pediatrician. Um, So there's, you know, and a lot of those health effects come from not having um daily activity of going to school not having a safe place to exercise at school you know we have a lot of we live in a beautiful county with lots of parks but there's still lots of kids who you know live in apartments or don't have a safe space outside to exercise or their parents work and they don't have supervision during the day and they're just like you know inside on their screens all day Um, uh, yeah, not having the structure of school and the social interactions and, and all that. And and also we've seen, you know, sleep um, disorders and screen addiction and the list goes on. But so some ways um, uh, that parents can help um, their kids regarding these issues. Um, so, I mean, uh, kind of going back to the basics. so regular sleep schedule <laughs> Um, is one of the biggest things a parent can do. So, not having screens on after, you know, 8 or 9 p.m. Um, that is like such a simple, uh, easier said than done, but a, a simple thing a parent could do. Um, and having a bedtime routine and a regular sleep schedule. I mean, it, we've seen kids, like young six, seven year olds, staying up till 2, 3 in the morning. Um, hey. Yeah. Um, and then that, 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 <laughs> you know, just disrupts the whole rest the next day. It also disrupts just your regulatory cycles in your body, your, your insulin, your cortisol. I mean, there's just a, a, a ton of other health effects from disrupted sleep cycles. Um, another, um, you know, important thing is, is daily exercise. So many kids um, were getting exercise through schools, through organized sports, through, you know, playing in the park with their friends and they're not getting exercise. So having, um, you know, a certain time of the day. And and also, so some of the PE, a lot of the virtual PE um, is very, very frustrating. For both the teachers and the students, it's very hard to do PE over a
1: computer screen. But I'm not, I'm having a hard time even, what would that be like? What do you mean? They do jumping jacks together?
2: So it it varies. So I've seen, or talking with kids, some PE classes, Aren't, there's no exercise. They talk about athletes, or they talk about health, or they talk about things. Um, some you're supposed to like do your own exercise during that a lot of time, but a lot of kids don't have a safe space, or there's a lot of chaos in their house that they can't. I've heard that too. Like a kid's trying to do PE in their room, in, in a room, but like siblings are coming in and out. <laughs> Um, and then also uh, PE. Some PE teachers are trying to do kind of like an in-person jumping jacks, push-ups, sit-ups, um, all together as a class. But uh, talking to some PE teachers, like maybe two, three, four, five kids show up. Um, the turnout's very low for those classes.
0: So if you just tuned in, this is KZYX Radio. This is the Mind Body Health Program. Our host is Dr. Marvin Trotter. My name's Cobb. I'm engineering in the studio. And our guest today is Dr. Casey Johnston, a pediatrician uh, who is discussing COVID-19 protocols, uh, kids, and the reopening of schools with us. And are we so, are we hoping to take phone calls later? Yes. Okay, so that number to call in would be 707-895-2448. And after a while, we'll be able to open the phone lines if you have a question for our guest.
2: And, and uh, so tagging along to the exercise part, um, it's really important for our community to have safe spaces for kids to exercise. So it's great to see Todd Grove Park has reopened their playground. I still see playgrounds that have caution tape all around it, and there's no good research showing that playgrounds are where COVID is spreading. So I, uh, you know, we need to reopen a lot of our safe spaces for kids to exercise, and then also in the long term to to build more fields and more parks and um, and more of that in our community. Um, Just type. I
1: know one of my pet peeves is the soccer fields, but I think also people, um, at least probably more people than me, realize how important the little school. Kids need to read and interact and socialize when they're in the first, second, third grade. But I was also shocked that if you're not physically active by the age 12 or fifth grade, something like that, you don't become physically active, that that isn't something you become a tennis player at 22 or start getting healthy when you're, you know, 17. And that's why I think that there should be as much organized sports or activities for kids because if they're not active when they're small, you know, the TVs and the computers are just an impossible barrier, I, I think. Am I off? The-
2: I, I, totally, I totally agree. Um, screens, uh, so screen addiction is a diagnosis, and we see it all the time. And you see similar signs of being addicted to a screen. Um, so in a... a a kid being addicted to a screen, there are some overlapping symptoms of, of adults being addicted to, to substances. <laughs> you get irritability, you, cra- you crave the screen, it disrupts your sleep, wow. your, your relationships with your family, your eating habits, your exercise habits, it disrupts your life. Um, so screen addiction, it can affect such young children and um, we need to provide other outlets um, for these kids. Um, yeah, and, and I want to commend... Um, the city of Ukiah sports programs, um, their after-school program that they've collaborated with the school district with um, the Boys and Girls Club. I mean, there have been um, and you know the pre the preschools, the daycares that have have been open this whole time. I mean, they they have shown um, they've provided kids with structure and activities and an outlet, and they they've shown in our community that it can be done safely to have kids together. Um, so I want to really, uh, yeah, thank uh, the Boys and Girls Club, the City of Ukiah sports programs, um, all those programs that have, have stayed open. I, it's It's been a blessing for a lot, a lot of families.
1: Yeah. So
0: what kind of correlation have you seen in terms of um, spreading of COVID-19 or, or not spreading of COVID-19 uh, through kids and participating together? Do you have any examples you can expand on?
2: Well, I mean, locally, we don't have a lot of good, like, county data, I would say, that's that's um, been published on child-to-child transmission. But, um, and in the clinic, I mean, just some cases I can think of, um, there are many times when a family, like, maybe the parents will get sick with COVID or, or take the, like, the, the jail um, that big outbreak it didn't cause a lot of outbreaks uh in kids of those families of guards or or you know like the um i guess my point is in in clinics sometimes i see families where the parents or the adults um got covid but the kids it seems less likely not impossible we definitely see some kids who get it um the symptoms tend to be a lot more mild um in kids um and i'm sure most listeners have have heard that um, from other uh, uh, other stories and other research um, but we do have a lot of uh, data nationally um, outside you know in Sonoma County and Marin County um, and showing uh, the safety of in-person learning so the I want to note um, so JAMA which is a big you uh, Jer- medical journal, just put out a CDC study looking at um, many, many, or a lot of data all over the world um, about schools. And so some of the um, statistics they had, so this was put out January 26th, and I would encourage listeners to, um, to read this uh, study. So in Mississippi, um, there's a huge study showing no association between having a positive COVID test and being in school. Um, North Carolina, there there is a big study on 11 school districts, not just schools but school districts. So this was over 90,000 students and staff, and these are schools that were in uh, in person throughout the uh, throughout this school year, and there were only uh, 30 like school transmitted cases. Of COVID, only 30 out of over 90,000, and there were zero cases from a student to a teacher transmitted from a student to a teacher. That's over 90,000 students and teachers, and there were zero cases of COVID transmitted from student to teacher. That's pretty good. Um, (laughs) That's pretty good data right there. And then in Marin County, um, many of their schools have been open since the fall. And um, let me just get the the data on that. So um, there were over 40,000 students and 5,000 teachers. So 40,000 students and 5,000 teachers since September. And there were only six uh, possible school transmitted cases. So they weren't even like positive. They were from the school, but they maybe were were from the school. So that's over 40,000 students and 5,000 teachers being on campus for three to four months and only six possible school-transmitted cases. So that's pretty good data.
0: What sort of safety protocols were they implementing?
2: So the, in Marin, um, similar to what our schools are going to be doing. So California statewide has um, pretty clear standards that they expect of schools that are, I would, I would argue, more strict than, than some many other states.
0: Like are kids going to be required to wear masks, that kind of thing?
2: Yeah, so school-age kids um, are expected to wear masks, and um, and then the you know teachers wearing masks, of course, too. And then socially distancing when possible, doing things outside. I think that's really important to stress. Like it's extremely hard to get COVID outside, even even if you're unmasked. <laughs> um, and so doing as much outside as possible um, would be great. I mean, even teaching classes class outside would be great. Um, but yeah, so those are kind of the basic uh, precautions. You know, every child's supposed to, um, every parent every morning is going to ask their child if they have any of these symptoms and stay home if they're sick, that sort of thing. Or if they've had a recent exposure to COVID, um, you know, you quarantine at home. So, so some of the basic like CDC guidelines will also also be followed. But I will, I will mention, um, you know, in clinic, we, we, uh, we tell kids and families to mask, mask up. Kids are very good at wearing masks. Really? <laughs> um, surprisingly good. <laughs> there are many families that the kids wearing the mask better than the parent. And there's all these little, you know, design masks like um, uh, little, you know, cartoon prints, animal prints. Um, kids actually kind of have a, uh, fun with these different masks.
0: Kids are adaptable. Kind of reminds me back to a time I remember being a kid and, and still having uh, seatbelt safety being a major federal issue of, of communicating and educating the public on wearing seatbelts and all that data. I don't know if that dates me a lot, but. Do you remember that,
1: Marvin? When people in the seatbelts? Yes, I remember that. What, what was funny is my parents were, you know, thought it was like some. some religious um freedom thing, you know, just like these masks. They thought, how can somebody demand that I wear a seatbelt? And my mother actually had my engineer brother decommission her seatbelt and her Buick. You know, it was, you know, where I didn't have any trouble with it. I don't know. I thought it was kind of fun to play with the thing. But um it is, you know, I'm 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 pleased to hear the kids. I just wish there was some override that Yukai unified or other school districts could say we've got the public health department signed off we're doing everything right the community wants this rather than going through this you know mano, a mano slugfest in you know in the in the trenches trying to get some approval from the state i mean and i you know, i
2: would, I would argue, you know. yeah i would argue that it, it would be powerful for our community to come together um, you know, superintendents, which which, which which they are working together, but it would be powerful to have a statement from public health, school districts, um, you know, other local leaders, uh, our representatives, um, you know, a letter, a statement going to the Newsom and, and, and the state arguing that we are allowed to open all of our schools with proper precautions. Um, uh, and that's what I've been... <laughs> Sending letters and calling Newsom's office, like just pleading that there's a waiver process um, that will reopen all our schools sooner. So back that's to Ukiah, or anyway, go ahead. Go well, that
0: away from maybe the political side and back to just the the safety and and data that's backing up the safety for getting together as far as schools go. What about um, diet and the food system related to schools? Can you speak to that?
2: You mean, um, I guess Well, like, school re-
0: lunch program and in-person oh. learning and having that available. Uh, in terms of, like, the research you've been studying, have they been studying that?
2: Yeah, I guess, are you referring to, like, food security and how kids will rely, you know, to, in our county, often rely on, like, two meals a day or even three meals a day through the schools normally?
0: Sure. sure. <laughs> yeah.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, our... Uh, yeah, so many, um, yeah, like I was saying, many children do rely on multiple meals a day uh, from the school, um, but our, our local schools have, have been, they have been working really hard on trying to get food to, to our students, and I can speak to to Kai, I am not as familiar as what's going on outside of Ukiah, but, um, you know, they have their weekly uh, food pickup on Wednesdays, and they provide a week's worth of food, and they're uh, to to a family and they, you know, consider how many kids are, um, are in the family and any, any age kid, basically, you don't have to be like part of the, the, the unified school district necessarily. They're not checking any, you know, IDs or anything like that. Um, and, uh, like before the holidays, they gave out whole turkeys, like 15, 20 pound turkeys to families and, um, and, you know, kind of makings for a holiday meal. So they, I mean, they have been they have been uh, trying really hard um, to get food to families. I would say though, it's um, some families have a hard time like storing a lot of that food. Uh, it tends to be a lot of frozen foods. Um, so I've met families who they just don't have room in their freezer. <laughs> like right. they appreciate the food, but they they are they they don't have room, and it's um uh yeah. And the food, the food, you know, is kind of variable. It depends on what the district gets. So sometimes there are a lot of fresh fruits and vegetables, or frozen strawberries, or um, things like that. Or you know, like the whole tur- turkey that you can roast. Um, other times, it's um, like huge bags of um, cheese. You know, like ten-pound shredded cheese bags.
0: Well, as and, far like, so- as the examples of schools that have reopened, how is their school lunch program run? Are kids getting together without masks on and close quarters to eat together, or are they doing that very differently? Do you know?
2: Um, so, I mean, it depends where you look over the, in the country. So some schools are um, back to full full days. I mean, there are a couple of schools actually in, in Mendocino County that got waivers early on that, that do full days. And they, you know, they, kids eat outside, they're, you know, spaced out, there are safe ways of, of eating. Um, but the, the schools that are going to reopen in the Ukiah Unified School District are going to avoid having meals and snacks during the school day. That's part of why like the, the day is going to be shortened. Um, but if you look all over the country, there there are definitely safe ways of doing a uh, school lunch um, at school, and then also like if, if they're doing school lunch, like everything's prepackaged and separate, and um, uh, so there's extra precautions regarding that as well.
1: Okay, well we're trying to- unified. Has Yukon Unified has done a great job feeding the kids? I think.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah, and they.
1: You want to take, take phone calls?
0: Yeah, so if you just tuned in, this is the Mind Body Health Show on KZYX. Uh, my name is Cobb. I'm engineering. Our host is Dr. Marvin Trotter, uh, ER doc here locally, and our guest is Dr. Casey Johnston, a pediatrician. We're talking about kids' health, uh, especially relating to the reopening of schools and the safety around that. If you'd like to call in with a question, The number to call in is 707-895-2448. We'll get you into the studio with your question. That number is 895-2448.
1: I'd like to point out that, you know, I hope the listeners realize that uh, Dr. Johnston has four children of her own. And if she wasn't confident about the data and the studies, uh, she wouldn't be wanting to put her own kids back in school. And she understands what difficulties it is having this, you know, imposed on their kids at home.
2: Yeah, and I would argue that, uh, you know, in-person learning or kind of, uh, you know, getting our kids back to the classroom is, is essential um, and uh, it needs to be treated as so by our state. Yeah,
1: my, my daughter Amber is a psychologist in the city and Charlie Evans have told me that, you know, lots and lots of adults have gone back to drinking, having terrible problems themselves, et cetera. And Charlie says that there's been three times the number of OD deaths in San Francisco as COVID deaths in the last six months. Wow. I mean, this is a big deal.
0: Okay, well, we have a caller. Welcome to Mind Body Health. You're live on the radio. Go ahead with your question.
3: Um yeah, actually I have um two comments. One Uh, When the doctor was talking about um, uh, other case studies of, you know, like 90,000 kids and and very little transmission, I'm just curious, were those children actually, like, being swabbed and tested every week to two weeks along with the teachers, or were the cases that were, quote, possibly positive um, just ones that showed symptoms? You know, I'm curious as to how many um, asymptomatic-carrying children Um, we just aren't seeing the positives because they aren't being tested. I mean, there's not even enough testing for adults right now. So that's one thing. Um, the other thing on, on school lunches, um, I do in Willits, um, deliver some school lunches to families that don't have the vehicle access to get to town. And I find that, you know, um, I think they're doing a really good job trying to, you know, um, incorporate as much good food as possible, um, but at the same time, there is a fair amount of um, frozen stuff or kind of things that really, if when my kids were little, I wouldn't necessarily have allowed them to have on a regular basis, especially with concern for um, uh, the, the obesity and diabetes concerns that we have. So anyways, um, that's just my input. But I was just curious about these large schools that we're using as these kind of like a, um, data samples of how safe it is to return to school were those children in those schools tested on a regular basis? Thanks, thanks um, very much.
0: Thanks, Nicole. Yeah,
2: so, um, first of all, thank you for, you know, being a part of the food delivery up in Willits. Uh, it's been critical for a lot of families. And, um, and yeah, I agree. There, there, is, uh, there has been a lot of good uh, food included. Like, sometimes it's dried beans and rice, like things you can put in your cupboard and, um And, uh, and you know, the summers, there was like watermelon and fresh fruit. And um, and also want to thank, like, you know, a lot of the teachers that have been creative and just, you know, working really hard uh, uh, during this whole process. Um, Back to the, so all the studies I mentioned. um, So it depends where you look in the country. I would say that the the data from Marin County, they did do regular surveillance testing. Um, It's not mandatory necessarily for um for students um but they did have regular surveillance testing uh which will be the plan for our county as well that's part of the state uh recommend or guidelines i should say um i do want to make so i do want to make one point too is that um you know the masks and socially distancing and, um, and all those precautions do work. So the reason why we differentiate between school transmitted COVID and then um, you know kids who show up to school and maybe have got COVID from the community is that um, you know, even if a kid was asymptomatic and maybe the surveillance testing didn't pick it up or for, for whatever reason they show up to school, they're asymptomatic and they're carrying COVID the masks, the hand washing, the socially distancing, there are reasons why we're doing all those precautions. It's to, to prevent the spread of, of COVID from that child to, to other people. And those precautions work. So, I mean, in, in clinic and in the hospitals, we see sick, sick people with, um, with COVID. And we're, we're doing you know basic PPE um, to prevent the transmission um, to the care providers. And it works. So I just want to stress. That masking, socially distancing, um, you know, all these precautions work. But there will, the surveillance testing will be a part of the school reopening plan.
0: Can you give out the information again as far as the research that you've been studying and trust? Uh, could you give out that information so yeah. listeners that want to follow along can read it for themselves?
2: Yeah, so um, kind of. Three good uh, resources to look at. Um, so one is the JAMA, so J-A-M-A um, article from, what was it, January 26th. It was just recent, and they, um, that's out of the CDC, or the CDC did that study, and it's um, it looks at many, many school districts all over the country. Uh, so they have a lot of good data, and they're calling for uh, they're, they're saying that it's safe to reopen schools if, if proper precautions are taking, taken. Um, another good resource is our California Public Health Department website, actually. So the Safe Schools Plan website, if you look that up, um, they have uh, a whole webpage focused on the science behind safe safe schools, basically, and, and the safety of in-person learning. So that's a good place to start, too. Another... Um, resource worth noting is that a group of over 30 UC San Francisco doctors, so this is from, this is including the director of their COVID response team, the director of like emergency department, pediatrics. Um, So over 30 physicians at UC San Francisco put out a public letter um, calling for school reopening. They actually, it was a few weeks ago and they called for school reopening by February 1st. And they have a lot of good um, data that UC San Francisco has has collected, including the Marin County school data. So those are kind of three big uh, places to start.
0: Where can people find the UC Davis uh, doctor's letter and that kind of thing?
2: So uh, UC San Francisco. Um, I mean, if you just Google, I found it on a link from the, like a local news report from the Bay Area. Uh-huh. So, but if you just Google UCSF Health Professionals Call for February 1st School Reopening.
0: Okay, got it.
2: That will get you there. So that's pretty powerful, I think, that uh, a group of thirty, um, over 30 doctors from UC San Francisco uh, think school should be open.
0: Right. We have another caller. Oh, lost him. Again, the number to call if you have a question is 707-895-2448. Uh, that's for our guest dr Casey Johnston a uh, pediatrician here in Mendocino county we're talking about uh kids and school reopening and, and the safety and the risks around that uh this is the mind body health show with dr. Marvin Trotter again if you have a question seven oh seven eight nine five two four four eight we have about twelve minutes left to go
2: what um if there's no callers um I can there's another point in the u c San Francisco letter that I want to bring up. Um, so the disparities in learning and, and health disparities in children throughout this last year have dramatically increased. Um, and that that was a big point by the UC San Francisco uh, doctors. You know, the kids that were already having a hard time in school, maybe behavioral problems, or more, maybe their family situation made, made school difficult. Um, uh you know, or, maybe, or learning dis, uh, disabilities, that sort of thing, like those kids are even struggling more and falling, falling more behind. Um, and also with health disparities too. I mean, people who already, you know, were, they only got exercise or good food through school. Um, uh, you know, we're seeing those families struggling more, like the rates of diabetes and obesity are increasing more, even more dramatically during this pandemic.
0: Got it. Um, I would imagine that coming out of this pandemic, assuming there's, you know, a return to some degree of normalcy, uh, maybe there'll be even more priority put on schools and school improvements. Have you heard any conversations about that in terms of, you know, child well-being? Um,
2: In terms of like school-based or.
0: Long-term schooling, it, it seems like uh, the public in general is getting a big education on the power of schools and how beneficial they are for our kids overall, whether there's a, a pandemic or not.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think we, uh, yeah, I agree with you that we're appreciating um, what, what schools provide um, for our children. Um, I, I have I mean, I don't know too many of the specifics of how schools are going to shift things for next year or in the long term. But um, but I have heard there, there's going to be definitely more focus on getting emotional and mental health support in the schools. Um, and in this coming summer and in, in the coming years, um, there's going to be uh, hopefully more programs to get kids caught up <laughs> mm-hmm. um, to their grade level, because a lot of kids are falling behind and you can't just keep pushing kids to the next grade to the next grade. Um, So I have heard that there's going to be more programs um, hopefully to do that, but uh, it's been kind of interesting. A lot of uh, funding is needed for all the surveillance testing for school. And so schools are faced with how to, I mean, they're always faced with how to, you know,
0: how to pay for it.
2: Yeah, I ought to pay for everything, but um, especially with this new added, added, the new added costs
0: of, of surveillance testing and, and all these precautions. So we have a caller. Welcome to Mind Body Health. You're live on the radio. Go ahead with your question.
1: Hi, Dr. Casey. Um, I'd like to ask whether this pandemic event have affected your choices of having four kids that seems to be a, a, a lot of kids for a family to handle and does it change
3: any of your retrospect uh, uh, perspectives? I take the phone off the phone.
0: Thanks for the question. So can, can you speak more to your role as a parent in working and, and having your kids at home versus in school and how that's affected you?
2: Yeah, i um I mean, it's, uh, there's definitely been challenges, um, but we're, we still, um, you know, make time to have fun and, and, uh, uh, <laughs> I, I guess the related to the caller's question, um, you know, each, each family makes their own decision. We, I, uh, uh I love having four children, <laughs> their blessings. And, um, definitely during this pandemic, uh, um i acknowledge that more what a blessing my children are um, it's definitely been challenging balancing work and 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 childcare and and um and all that dur- during the pandemic um but we we still uh um you know make time for each other and uh and try to have fun <laughs> you know one
1: question I have for you is is our, why don't why doesn't the United States of America with a bazillion dollar industry not have the best elementary schools in the world I read an article where Finland had the worst um, educational system in Europe and I had the best they tripled the, the wages of the teachers and they made a huge investment in their schools and I've never understood, as important as education is, my father was the son of a sharecropper, and the only thing he ever said to me was education was number one, that, you know, because he was terribly poor as a kid, um, how important education is, especially in the computer age. And it frustrates me to see that, I don't know, what what does the community need to do to support our schools more and make, you know, at least elementary school a you know, a vibrant, important thing for all little kids. Because if you ask me, trying to turn around a 15-year-old who has a substance abuse problem is a little harder than, you know, having extra support for these kids, often who don't have good homes, you know, be a success. Um, I guess I'm grinding the stone again, Uh, but it's frustrating to me. I don't know.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know what the. <laughs> I agree with your frustrations. Um, and you know, I think some good starting points too. And just um, you know, improving our the facilities and the and the the base. What am I trying to say? Like, I mean, like you mentioned before, on making more parks and beautifying our elementary school campuses, making it a, a great space for, for kids and teachers to come to, um, uh, you know, just value, uh, putting more value on, on early, early education in general. Um, cause I agree it's hard to, uh, change things in, in teenagers sometimes. Um, but starting from an early age makes a big difference.
0: So we have another call. I don't know, but we may have another one right here. Welcome to Mind Body Health. You're live on the radio. Go ahead with your question. Oh, lost them. So try and call right back. Uh, we have just a few minutes. We might be able to squeeze one more question in if you call right back. 707-895-2448. In the meantime, uh, what else we would you a like hold, to how get? Do, a,
1: how did somebody? How does somebody get hold of Doctor Johnston if they wanted to?
2: <laughs> um, you mean for for clinic or just for, yes, clinic. Uh, clinic. for clinic um so i work at uh mendocino community health clinics i work um at the hillside clinic in ukiah and then one day a week in lakeport so you can call the general the general number to schedule an appointment um yeah or, or, or to get a hold of me too they can get get me a message and i can get back to you
0: Let's see if we got a caller here. You're live on Mind Body, Health. Go ahead with your question. You're live on the radio. Go ahead with your question. Again. Hmm? One more time. You're live on the radio. Go ahead with your question.
3: Yes, I'd like to like to have the doctor comment on the the no touching, the distancing, the psychological impacts of uh, just the whole so, the whole social distancing and 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 mute, muting. You know, not being able to converse or talk because we're we're being antisocial. We're all home at home, and what the what this is. Uh, there there going to be some psychological impacts from this, I believe, for okay. the children and the parents. And I'd like to have comment
0: on that, please. Thank
2: you. Yeah, so I I, I agree. There's there's, uh, huge impacts of not being able to have uh, physical connections with people. Um, I mean, so many, you know, kids are not being able to see relatives, cousins, grandparents. um, uh, You know, with schools going back and teachers not able as much to, um, you know, interact close, you know, uh, be closer to their students is also a challenge.
1: So how big of a play group? This is one question. You know, if you have some kid that's two years old or five years old, how many kids should they be around playing? Or is everybody's possible if they're wearing masks or? Yeah, I mean, that's that's
2: a good question. It's uh, hard to put an exact number on it, I would say, but a few, um, you know, I don't, a handful of kids. Okay. Four or five <laughs> um, kids. I mean, if you have two, if you have two families and, and they're each in their, you know, they're separate groups, but each family has like four kids and you bring the two families together, that's, and they're, you know, you're outside, that's relatively safe too. So it just kind of depends on the situations. If you had, you know, 20 different groups of each, like two people, that's kind of different. Okay. Um, but yes, yeah, going back to the other caller. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it, it, it matters so much for our emotional uh, and mental health to be able to connect physically with people. Um, and and, you know, I I've given hugs to people while while wearing a mask. And um, if you turn turn your head, <laughs> um, you can do you can do things like that
0: relatively safely so we're coming up on the end of our hour uh thanks so much for being with us dr casey johnson pediatrician
1: thank you casey thanks for having me
0: and thank you for being here as well dr marvin trotter our regular intrepid host of mind body health
1: uh, i'm going to come up with a word for you by next two weeks from now
0: Uh oh we'll make sure that it fits fcc regulations uh with that We're going to leave you with uh, Loose Cannon Classics coming up in just a few seconds. Stay tuned to KZYX, and thanks for tuning in. This has been a production of KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Dukaya 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. You can check out our website at kzyx.org to find more content like this, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thanks for listening.